The House of Hades Odysseus found the enchantress Circe in a calm and equable mood. She loved Odysseus, who had warmed her heart and her bed. But she had known since first setting eyes on the great warrior that he would never be completely hers. This day had been long in coming, but now that it was upon her, she gave him her blessing. There were, however, tasks to be undertaken before Odysseus could be freed. He and his men could not voyage to Ithaca until they had met with the ghost of the blind prophet Tiresias, wiser than any dead or alive. They must travel to him at Hades, bringing gifts to sacrifice to the powers of the underworld. Whitened by fear, the men agreed to journey with Odysseus to learn their fate and to receive instructions for their return to Ithaca. All his men, spare one, prepared themselves for the voyage. But Elpinor, the youngest of the crew, lay sleeping on the roof of the cottage, where he'd stumbled in a drunken stupor the previous night. He woke to see the ships and his comrades setting sail from the island of Circe, and forgetting himself, he tumbled to the ground where he met an instant and silent death. The men pressed on, unaware that one of their lot was missing. They sailed through a fair wind raised by Circe, and as darkness drew itself around them, they entered the deep waters of Oceanus, where the Chimerians lived in eternal night. There the rivers Phlegethon, Cocytus, and Styx converged beneath a great rock, and Odysseus and his men drew aground. Following Circe's instructions, they dug a deep well in the earth beside the rock. Then they cut the throats of a ram and an ewe, allowing their virgin blood to fill the trough. The ghosts of the departed began to gather round the blood, some in battle stained garb, others lost and confused. They struggled up to the pit and fought for a drink. Odysseus drew his sword to hold back the swelling crowd, startled as Elpinor, pale and blood-spattered, greeted his former master. He pressed forward, moaning and reaching greedily for the mortals. I have no grave, he uttered. I cannot rest. He clung to Odysseus, whose cold stare belied the anxiety that pressed down on his heart. He was too close to the wretched creatures of the underworld, near enough to be dragged down with them. He shook Elpinor loose. I will build you a grave, he said gruffly. A fine grave with a tomb. There your ashes will lay, and you shall have peace. Elpinor pulled back at once, a bemused expression crossing his pale face. He slid away as reaching arms grappled in the space he left. Faces blended together in a, in a grotesque dance of the macabre. Writhing bodies struggling to catch a glimpse of mortals of the other side. Familiar features appeared and then disappeared as Odysseus fought to keep control of his senses. Odysseus, the voice was soft, crooning. How often he'd heard it, sheltered in the tender arms of its bearer, rocked, adored. Mother. Anticlea had been alive when he'd sailed for Troy, and until this moment he knew not of her death. He longed to reach out for her, to take her pale and withered body against his own, to provide her with the comfort she had tenderly invested in him. But his duties prodded at his conscience, and he pricked his sword at her, edging her away from him, searching the tumultuous mass for Tiresias. At last he appeared from 
from the shadowy depths, stopping to drink deeply of the bloody sacrifice. He leaned against his golden staff and spoke slowly, in a language mellowed with age. Odysseus, Tiresias said, thy homecoming will not be easy. Poseidon bears spite against thee for blinding his cyclops' son, Polythemus. Yet you have guardians, and all may go well still, if, when you reach the hallowed shores of Trinacrian, ye harm not the herds of the sun that pasture there. Control thy men, Odysseus, allow not the greed that has tainted their hearts, that has led you astray to shadow your journey. He paused, drinking again from the trenches, and shrugging aside the groping arms of his comrades, he spat into the pool of blood. If you slay them, Odysseus, you will bring death upon your men, wreckage to your ships, and if you do escape, you will find thy house in trouble. No glory in your homecoming, and in the, and in the end death will come to thee from the sea, from the great Poseidon. With that, Tiresias leaned heavily on his staff and stumbled away, calling out as he left, Mark my words, brave Odysseus, my sight is not hampered by the darkness. Odysseus sat down and pondered the blind man's words. Anticlea appeared once again, and he beckoned her closer, coaxing her to drink, and with the power invested in her by the blood, she drew a deep breath and spoke. She asked eagerly of his news and told of her own, how she had died of grief thinking him dead at Troy. But his father, Laertes, she said, was still alive, though weakened by despair and feeble in his old age. Penelope, his wife, waited for him, loyal despite the attentions of many suitors. And Telemachus had become a man, growing tall and strong like his father. Odysseus was torn by the sight of his mother, knowing not when he would set eyes on her again. He reached out to touch her, but she shrank from his embrace. A vision only. No substance, no warm blood coursing through her veins. He stood abruptly and was thronged by the clambering dead. As his mother drifted from his sight, he called after her, but she had gone. Many of his comrades from Troy appeared now, eager to see the fine Odysseus, curious about his presence in Hades without having suffered the indignity of death. There was Agamemnon and again Achilles, whose stature was diminished, whose glory had tarnished. Ajax was there, and Tantalus and Sisyphus reached out to him, howling with anguish. And then there was Minos and Orion and Heracles, great men once, ghostly specters now. They circled him, and he felt chilled by their emptiness, by their singleness, by their determination to possess him. He turned away and strode from the group, shaking with the effort. And his men joined him there as they rowed away from that perilous island, down the ocean river and back to the open sea. The friendly winds tossed them back to Circe's island, where the enchantress awaited them. Their belongings were ready, and she had resigned herself to the loss of her great love. She pulled Odysseus to one side, stroking him until he stiffened with pleasure, tempted as always to remain with her, enjoyed and enjoying she whispered in his ear, warning him of the hazards which stood between A.A. and Ithaca, the perils of his course, and he kissed her deeply and with a great surge of confidence pushed her aside and went to meet his men. 
Together they uncovered the body of poor Elpenor and burned it with great ceremony, placing its ashes in a grand and sturdy tomb. Their duty done, they looked towards home. And so it was that Odysseus escaped the fires of Hades and the clutches of the shrewd Circe, and found himself heading once more towards Ithaca and home, the warnings of Circe and Tiresias echoing in his ears. As chance would have it, the first of the dangers lay just across the shimmering sea.